Hello again, everyone, and welcome back to Wednesdays with Wesley, the podcast where we dive deep into the sermons and writings of John Wesley and of the early Methodist movement. My name is Bob Kaler. I'm pastor of Tri Lakes United Methodist Church in Monument, Colorado. And for this week's installment, we're going to be looking at John Wesley's sermon on wandering thoughts, which I think is a really great sermon, particularly for the times in which we live, as we're coming up on the second anniversary of the beginning of the coronavirus pandemic. Many of us have been dealing with wandering thoughts. I was reading an article in the New York Times a couple weeks ago. It was written by Adam Grant, and it's the date for it was April 19th, 2021. But Adam Grant's article which I sent to a bunch of different people, particularly some of my pastor friends. The title of the article is, There's a Name for the Blah You're Feeling. It's called Languishing. And so in this article, he talks about what we've been experiencing. People have talked about it variously as COVID fog or pandemic brain or all kinds of different monikers for this kind of malaise we've all been feeling. He calls it languishing, and he defines languishing as a state of stagnation and emptiness. It feels as if you're muddling through your days, looking at life through a foggy windshield. Languishing is the dulling of delight, the dwindling of drive. It's indifference to indifference. I don't know about you, but that kind of put it on the head for me uh, about what we've been going through. And this sermon by John Wesley gets at this idea of the kind of things that happen to us when we're in that malaise, our thoughts begin to wander. And how do we sort those out? How do we know which of those thoughts are sinful, which are natural, and how do we, in some sense, overcome them? The basis for this sermon is from the text in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5, where Paul talks about taking every thought captive in order to obey Christ. Now, Wesley uses this sermon primarily as a way of further explaining Christian perfection, because a lot of people came up with questions after John Wesley proposes this idea of Christian perfection, does that mean that all of our thoughts will be perfect all the time? And Wesley's going to address that here in this sermon. The key question in the sermon is, will God bring every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ? That there will be no more wandering thoughts as long as we remain in the body. Is that what Christian perfection is about? Some affirmed that no one is perfected in love unless they no longer have any wandering thoughts, that every affection and temper they have is holy and good, and that every individual thought they have is habitually wise and good. Well, is that the way it is? Wesley says this is a question of no small importance because a lot of people struggle with this. Because when wandering thoughts come, people begin to doubt the work of sanctification. If sanctification means that all of our thoughts have to be pure or will be pure all the time. That means that any wandering thought we get would mean that we're failing. And so we would tend to, as Wesley puts it, cast away the precious gift of God. We can begin to think that God's work hasn't accomplished anything in us. So Wesley laments that there hadn't been much written on this subject then or now. I think there's a lot of opportunity here to write more, particularly in this season that we've gone through. So how do we understand and deal with wandering thoughts, and how do we take every thought captive? Well, Wesley, as he often does, begins the sermon by proposing questions that he's going to answer within. 
And in this particular sermon, he poses four questions. First, what are the several sorts of wandering thoughts? Secondly, what are the general occasions of them? Third, which of them are sinful and which not? And fourth, which of them may we expect to pray and be delivered from? So let's dive into these questions. I think they're important questions as we think about overcoming or dealing with wandering thoughts. First, what kinds of wandering thoughts are there? Wesley says there are two kinds. The first are thoughts that wander from God. The second kind are thoughts that wander from the particular point we have in hand. There's another way of putting that, I think. Wesley means um, thoughts that take our attention away from the thing that we're thinking about. I would call this rabbit hole thinking. You know, we're focused on a particular subject, something else comes up, it takes away our attention, we begin to go down the rabbit hole. Thoughts that wander from God versus thoughts that wander from a particular point. So let's talk about first, thoughts that wander from God. Wesley says, all our thoughts are naturally of this kind, for they are continually wandering from God. This is part of our sinful nature. We think of what we love, but in our sinful nature, we do not love God. We do not think of him except perhaps now and then. Instead, we think of some of the things that Jesus talks about in Matthew 6.25, stuff that we're not supposed to worry about, but we do. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? We might add a whole lot of other things to that list. But we tend to think about that which will please or satisfy our senses and imagination. And so because we tend to focus on those things that are more immediate to us, We fill our minds with all sorts of distractions that keep us from focusing on what we really need. And what we really need is God. Many times, we are not only without God in the world, Wesley says, but we're also fighting against him. Our carnal minds are at enmity with God. And so this idea that our thoughts wander from God is kind of a practical atheism. We deny or doubt God's providence, power, his wisdom, his mercy, his justice, his holiness. And in a sense, we begin to think of ourselves practically in the place of God. We might think that we have control, that we need to get these things for ourselves, that we need to do whatever it takes to get them in order to satisfy our needs. Things like anger, malice, revengeful thoughts can make ourselves into the place of a judge over others. We take the place of God. Or our minds become focused on sensuality, the pleasures of the mind and the flesh. Many times as we've been sitting in this pandemic and binge watching or scrolling or things like that, we tend to take our mind away from God and instead we focus on the things that are in front of us. But Wesley says, by all these, we make flat war with God. War with God. These are wandering thoughts of the highest kind. Anything that takes us away from focusing on God, or at least being, in a sense, aware of God on a regular basis, is the kind of thought that causes us to wander. But there's a second kind of wandering thought, those that don't necessarily lead the heart to wander from God, but wanders from a particular point of view, or a particular point. 
Wesley uses the example of meditating on a verse like 2 Corinthians 10.4. And that particular verse says, For the weapons of our warfare are not merely human, but they have divine power to destroy strongholds. Well, you might think for yourself, okay, that's a great verse. I'm thinking about what it means for me, but where is this found in other places? And we begin to go down a rabbit hole. Instead of focusing on ourselves, on our relationship with God, as we read the scripture, we tend to focus on everything and everyone else. I equate what Wesley says here to something that often happens to us preachers. When you've given a sermon and you come out afterwards and people greet you at the door and they will say things like, that was a great sermon. My brother-in-law really needed to hear that. And you think to yourself, that's where their thoughts were wandering during the sermon not on what the word was saying to them, but rather they were going down another rabbit hole. Wesley would say that these two are wandering thoughts, but they don't necessarily wander from God. They just distract us. I think of this for myself. I'm not a particularly contemplative person. Sitting thoughtfully by myself usually involves having a book or something to occupy my mind because when I'm left to my own devices, my brain will wander quite a bit. Even in prayer, if I don't use the prayer book, if I'm doing just extemporaneous, personal, silent prayer, my mind will wander a lot. Now, are those thoughts necessarily wandering away from God? No, but they're certainly taking me off of what I'm supposed to be focused on. So there's two different kinds of wandering thoughts. One is particularly destructive. The other is merely, I think, part of being human. I think that's Wesley's argument here. We tend to be distracted by a lot of things. And that's what he gets to next. What are the occasions of these thoughts? When are we most likely to have them? He says, in the case of those thoughts that wander from God, they are usually the result of our sinful tempers. Again, that sinful nature that we have when we give in to that. It's a, again, it's a kind of practical atheism. Wesley actually uses that term in the sermon. Why are a person's thoughts continually wandering after the world? Well, if we are continually uh, an idolatry, we are worshiping the world. And because we are idolaters, we tend to have our thoughts wander to the things that we give our worship to and we give our love to. We might seek happiness in things that are seen in the pleasures that perish in the using. Again, it's a form of unbelief. Wesley says, He is an unbeliever because he has no faith, or at least no more than a devil. He might believe in God, but really focus on the things that we can get for ourselves. All these kinds of wandering thoughts spring from the root of unbelief. We don't believe God will actually provide for us. We don't believe that God will supply all of our needs according to our riches and glory, as Paul says. We don't believe that God will provide for what we need in terms of what we eat and what we drink and what we wear. We don't trust the promises of God. Pride, anger, revenge, vanity, lust, covetousness, all of these are sources for these wandering thoughts. And when they find a place in our soul, that means our soul will generally depart from God by the worst kinds of wandering thoughts. We start to think we're the center of the universe. We begin to think that others are our enemies we seek revenge on them, we push out in anger, we desire other people, 
we lust, we covet what they might have. All of those things are thoughts that will drive us away from God. And these are the kind of thoughts Wesley is going to say that are the sinful kind. And those are the kind we have to mitigate the most. But there are other kinds of wandering thoughts that wander from the point in view. And those distractions are numerous. Wesley says they're the result of the natural union between soul and body. So there are a lot of things that will cause our minds to wander. Disease, for example, will distract us. I mean, if you're dealing with pain on a constant basis, that will tend to shape your thinking and cause your thoughts to wander. Sleep will cause us to dream, and our thoughts naturally wander in sleep. Some weird stuff happens in those dreams. Our thoughts begin to wander. Even when we're awake and when we're healthy, we have these kinds of distractions. We may be, as Wesley puts it, too dull or too lively. And if we are, our imagination carries us away. Think of it like daydreaming or that kind of feeling you have when you're thinking about something and you're driving down the road and you don't realize that you've covered a couple of miles. That's a natural kind of thought wandering process. Distractions will happen that will take us away from the thought in hand. Wesley says, whatever we see or hear will break in upon our former train of thought. Every person that does anything in our sight or speaks anything in our hearing occasions our mind to wander more or less from the point it was thinking before. So yeah, we get interrupted quite a bit. And Wesley, of course, is writing this in the days before there were computers and notifications and things constantly popping up on our screens, our phones ringing, uh, people outside, you know, mowing the lawn, all kinds of other stuff that can distract us. But Wesley does say that evil spirits are ready to use these occasions of distraction to turn our thinking away from what is good and pleasing to God or to give us a false sense of urgency. Thus, we run off in a thousand different directions. It's kind of like that... Uh, that, that movie up where the dog is constantly like squirrel, you know, looking off in, the, in another direction. We're constantly being distracted. Our phones and computers do that to us, social media, and we have kind of a Pavlovian response. Those dings and bells easily pull our thoughts in other directions. It's amazing to me how quickly I can find myself going down a rabbit hole just because of a notification or an email that pops up. And I've had to learn how to shut those things off in order to focus on what I'm doing and to keep that distraction at bay. Great book I want to recommend to you, particularly for those of us who live in this digital age. Cal Newport uh, has written a great book called Digital Minimalism. And he talks about the fact that technology was supposed to help us, but it often winds up making us more sick and causing our thoughts to wander even more. He says this in the book, we added new technologies to the periphery of our experience for minor reasons, then woke one morning to discover that they had colonized the core of our daily life. Increasingly, they dictate how we behave, how we feel, and somehow coerce us to use them more than we think is healthy, often at the expense of other activities we find more valuable. So here's the dilemma. We, we know these technologies distract us. We know that they're not good for us when we use them excessively, when we don't have control over them, and yet we find ourselves being helpless. 
I mean, think about the panic now that you have when you leave your phone at home accidentally when you're out running around. We panic. Where is my phone? Why did I leave it alone? Am I going to miss out on something? Where's that phenomenal text I'm going to get? Or maybe there's an emergency that's going to happen or an email that I'm going to miss. What will happen if I don't have my phone with me constantly? That is a modern Western distraction machine. I do it as well. We freak out about that stuff. And indeed, we've been programmed to think that way. Because distracting us, giving us wandering thoughts is now an industry. Here's what Newport says. This is a telling statement. He says, people don't succumb to screens because they're lazy, but instead because billions of dollars have been invested to make this outcome inevitable. Wesley was writing about wandering thoughts in an 18th century world where there were no screens. How much more important is learning to take every thought captive today? We need to learn how to do this, especially when we've had this time where we've really been sucked into technology. We've been isolated. That's been our window on the world. And we have to learn how to take control of that because it's causing us in many ways to be in this state of languishing. I mean, the news is always bad. Social media, we're trying to look at other people's lives. They always seem to be better than ours because they're able to, to kind of curate what their lives are like online. And we take that to heart and think that's the whole story. A lot of things are making us sick. And so we have to take these thoughts captive and get control of our thought life and what distracts us. So in the next section of the sermon, Wesley talks about dividing out which of these wandering thoughts are sinful and which are merely annoying distractions. Well, he says, thoughts that wander from God are obviously sinful. They leave no room for God in our minds. All the more are those thoughts that are contrary to God, essentially saying, we will not have God rule over us in this particular area. Think about the parts of your life that you don't necessarily want God to have sovereignty over. And all of us might have a little place in our life that we'd like to protect. That's where our wandering thoughts tend to go, and that's what leads us to sin. We might have unbelieving thoughts about God, his being, his attributes, or providence. All thoughts that spring from sinful tempers are also sinful. Because, as Wesley says, and as the scriptures say, if the tree is evil, it will produce evil fruit. Even those innocent distractions can become sinful if they cause or feed any wrong disposition, if they distract us to the point that they take us away from God. We have to be very mindful about these particular wandering thoughts. Is what I'm doing, is what I'm thinking taking me away from God or is it leading me toward God? And if, if it's leading us away from God, we have to really get radical about how we redirect our thinking and even cut out that particular distraction as much as possible. Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. If your right eye causes you to sin, cut it out and throw it away. That sounds radical. And I don't think he means that we should go around and literally lop off our limbs, but we should be very judicious in the way that we eliminate the things in our lives that will pull us away from God, that will pull us towards sin. 
Wesley takes that seriously. Jesus takes it seriously. We need to take it seriously. But then there are those simple wandering thoughts that distract us for a moment. These are not necessarily sinful, but they're really just the natural consequence of being human, of being embodied. Our minds naturally get distracted by the world around us, even when we are asleep. These kinds of thoughts are not inconsistent with perfect love, however. They are just thoughts that pop into our minds. But again, we can have control over those too by limiting our environment, turning things off, focusing on one thing at a time. We like to think in our modern culture that we are multitaskers, that we can do many things at once. But most brain science is teaching us that that's not really true. If, even if we're doing several things at one time, we'll, most of our attention will be on one of those things, not on all of those things. So instead of doing one thing well, we'll do a lot of things poorly. Learning how to focus, learning how to get our minds and our timing and our, and our thoughts aligned is a key part of modern life. If it was a problem in Wesley's day, it's even more so today. So Wesley goes on here in conclusion to talk about the kinds of thoughts we may expect to pray and be delivered from. The first, he says that the thoughts that we can expect to pray and be delivered from are the kinds of thoughts that wander from God. Here's his statement. All that are perfected in love are delivered from these, else they were not saved from sin. Men and devils will tempt them all manner of ways, but they cannot prevail over them. So Christian perfection involves having a thought life that is not governed by these thoughts that wander from God. It doesn't mean we won't occasionally be tempted by thoughts that wander from God. Remember that Jesus was tempted by Satan. But the key is to counter those thoughts with a focus on God in prayer and in reading Scripture. Notice, if you read Matthew 4, how Jesus encounters Satan Now he counters him with the wealth of scripture that's stored up in his heart. Scripture that he had meditated upon, that he knew by heart. Now we could say he was able to avoid that temptation because he was the son of God. But remember this, the human Jesus had the same tools available that we do. He had prayer. He had the scriptures. Indeed, now we can have the scriptures anytime we want them. He wasn't carrying a scroll around with him all the time. We can put the Bible in our pocket. The key is allowing the Spirit to fill us with good things, to convict us when we're wandering, and turn us back toward God when we are tempted to go down this particular sinful rabbit hole. The disciplined life thus helps galvanize against it. As Paul says in Philippians 4.8, Finally, beloved, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable, If there is any excellence and if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. I would add to Wesley's word here that one of the other ways we can be delivered from such stinking thinking is by being in community with others where we can share our deepest thoughts to be able to talk about our patterns of thinking in front of others. And that can help us put those thoughts on the table and analyze them for both truth and falsehood. Oftentimes when our thoughts wander and they start to cause us to wander away from God, we can get into patterns of thinking that begin to spiral out of control. And if I've got a group of people with whom I can be honest and I can put that stuff on the table, 
I have a, I have a, a band meeting I meet with every week. My two other brothers, we meet every Thursday morning and we talk about these things. And oftentimes we're able to point out to one another when our thought process is going off track. We need others to help us identify that and help us be pulled back into a focus on God and his promises. Personally, for example, during this whole time of pandemic, it's been tough. I think it's been tough for most pastors. I saw uh, an article that was a Barna research survey that said that 38% of pastors had thought about quitting during the pandemic. And as I talked to my, my band brothers, we, we all believe that that was 62% too low. Most of us have thought about that at some point or another during this time, because it's been really, really hard. And one of the things that was making it harder for me was a sense of all or nothing thinking. And, and my, my band brothers recommended I go see a counselor because I was really struggling with some stuff. And, and uh, I went, talked to this counselor, and he said, I want you to think about the fact that you have learned a pattern of thinking in all or nothing thinking. I was a military officer before, always trained to wor- think of the worst case scenario. And that's really helpful when you're planning an operation, but it's not helpful for every aspect of your life. And I realized that that was getting in the way of my relationship with God. So with the help of this counselor and with the help of my, my band brothers, I was able to kind of work through that and come out of it to break that thinking pattern and identify it when it pops up because that's where my thoughts tended to wander. Getting into a situation where you can be with other people to help you think through some things without your thoughts wandering down a path that will take you in other places. I wonder how many pastors have quit or how many people have given up during this pandemic because they didn't have someone to process what was going on inside them. We really need that. Now, for other kinds of thoughts, the case is different, says Wesley. We have to remove the cause of distraction. So if it's illness that causes us to be distracted, we need to work at getting healthy. Wandering thoughts will continue as long as the illness continues. Wesley says, we'll have these kinds of wandering thoughts until we die. That's very comforting, isn't it? We'll always have some kind of malady that will cause us to have wandering thoughts. We need to just be prepared for that. Wesley also says, helpfully, that helpfully that evil spirits will also continue to hound us until we die too and be willing to take our thoughts down another track. That's helpful as well. We have to be mindful of that, however. Wesley's guidance here isn't exactly hopeful, but he does conclude on an up note. Here's how he concludes the sermon. Rather, let us pray, both with the Spirit and with the understanding, that all these things may work together for our good, that we may suffer all the infirmities of our nature, all the interruptions of men, all the assaults and suggestions of evil spirits, and in all, be more than conquerors. Let us pray that we may be delivered from all sin, that both the root and branch may be destroyed, that we may be cleansed from all pollution of flesh and spirit, from every evil temper and word and work, that we may love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our mind, with all our soul, with all our strength, that all the fruit of the Spirit may be found in us, not only love, joy, peace, but also long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, fidelity, meekness, temperance. Pray that all these things may flourish and abound, may increase in you more and more, till an abundant entrance be ministered unto you 
into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, let's pray that we can be delivered from this and let's pray that we can be filled with these fruits of the Spirit, with a a love for God, with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, because the more that we are filled with that kind of thinking, the less distraction and wandering thoughts have a way of getting in and controlling us. A helpful word. Some concluding thoughts then. I think that wandering thoughts are endemic to 21st century life, even more so than they were in Wesley's day. And we have to work a whole lot harder to manage distraction. Things like social media vie for our attention, even our worth. We get addicted to likes and follows. And that's an algorithm that's designed to distract us and to play on our need for attention. We need to learn how to turn that off and focus. We have to allow for focused time of quiet and rest to let our brains recover. Cal Newport talks a lot about that in his book. Really recommend that to you, particularly if you've been struggling with uh, your digital life. Learning to sit down and read a book, not on a computer or tablet where there are notifications, but to have a focused time of just focusing on, on the text, focusing on reading scripture. In his article, Adam Grant talks about this kind of focus as flow, a state of absorption in a meaningful challenge. Because, on the other hand, he says, fragmented attention is an enemy of engagement and excellence. Focus on important things during your best time of the day. Avoid staying up too late or doing what, what, uh, what Adam Grant calls pre-bedtime revenge scrolling, uh, or that, uh, how does he put it? He says it is uh, revenge bedtime procrastination. We tend to want to stay up, try to recapture some of the stuff we lost during the day, and when we're up too late at night and our minds begin to wander, we begin to scroll and bad things begin to happen. We need to get control of this and to have uh, our focus maintained by discipline. That means turning some things off. It may mean reorganizing your day and your life. Maybe it means turning off email notifications and only checking your email a couple of times a day. Most of the things we get by email are not emergencies. Most of the texts we get are not emergencies. One of the greatest things I've heard and I've practiced is to turn off the notifications on your phone. That way you're not constantly going to your phone every time you have a, a notification, some kind of buzz or ding or whatever it is. In fact, it's a good idea sometimes to intentionally leave your phone at home so you're not constantly checking it when you're bored. Because what do we do? We go down the rabbit hole. A lot of stuff like that in Cal Newport's book on digital minimalism. I think that uh, Cal Newport and John Wesley would be kindred spirits around this. If John Wesley was writing in the 21st century, I think he would have written this kind of, this kind of book to help us be uh, focused away from wandering thoughts. Well, those are just a a few thoughts on wandering thoughts for this Wednesdays with Wesley. I hope that you will uh, go back and read or listen to some of the other episodes. If you're new to the podcast, this has been an exciting opportunity to dive deep into these sermons. I learned so much from them. And sometimes the best wisdom is old wisdom. And John Wesley certainly gives us 
a lot of that in his sermons. Well, we'll be back again in a couple weeks with another Wednesdays with Wesley. Tell your friends about the podcast. You can also send me your questions and comments. PastorBK at TLUMC.org. Follow me on Twitter at RevBKaler. We'll see you next time here on Wednesdays with Wesley.